Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyola, your host. And here we are already at the end of October. I just can't believe it. Can you? It's a beautiful time of year, though, of course. It's always beautiful, really. And it's beautiful in the liturgical calendar. The whole year in the church is beautiful. It's magnificent. But before we go any further, I do want to invite you to say two prayers with me today. One of those is for the Synod on the Family that is going on and will end pretty soon. This prayer was written by Pope Francis himself. So we'll say that prayer first, then I'll tell you about the second one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, in you we contemplate the splendor of true love. To you we turn with trust. Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that our families too may be places of communion and prayer, authentic schools of the gospel, and small domestic churches. Holy Family of Nazareth, may families never again experience violence, rejection, and division. May all who have been hurt or scandalized find ready comfort and healing. Holy Family of Nazareth, may the Synod of Bishops make us once more mindful of the sacredness and inviolability of the family and its beauty in God's plan. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, graciously hear our prayer. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me with that prayer for the Synod on the Family. Now I have one more. And this prayer is for the cause of canonization of someone who was part of both the Byzantine Catholic Church and the Latin Rite Church. Her name is Sister Miriam Teresa Demjanovich. She was a young novice that joined the Sisters of Charity, although she was born, raised, and baptized in a Byzantine Catholic parish in Bayonne, New Jersey. And she was recently beatified. She died at age 26, and she left behind some very incredible writings. And when you read her writings, you will know that, at least I believe you will know, certainly I do know, at least I am very confident, that she is indeed a saint. 
I'm certainly happy that she was beatified. I think she stands as a symbol, a meaning point, like this program, Light of the East, between East and West, because she was Byzantine Catholic. She never stopped being Byzantine Catholic, actually. She always remained a Byzantine Catholic, although she joined the Sisters of Charity, which is a Latin Rite order. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me for the cause of her canonization. So once again, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most holy and blessed Trinity, whom Sister Miriam Teresa loved so ardently, grant that we, like her, may become ever more conscious of your divine presence within our souls. We implore you to show signs that your humble servant enjoys glory with you in heaven, and to hasten the day when we may render her a public tribute of our veneration and love. Glory to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. Once again, her name is Sister Miriam Teresa Demjanovic, and I appreciate you praying with me because I am taking up her cause, my own personal spirituality. In fact, in March in Cary, Ohio, and you'll be hearing more about that in time, I will be directing another women's retreat there as I did last year, only this year. It will be based on the writings, the spirituality of Sister Miriam Demjanovic. So you may want to mark that on your calendar. It's the first weekend in March. More information will be forthcoming. In the church today, there is a growing popularity and awareness and creation of icons. Sometimes we call it Eastern icons or Byzantine icons. And this is a good thing. It's good for the church East and West. However, every good thing, especially when it is very good, like icons and the growing awareness of them, we always have to preserve or protect the integrity of that thing. Because oftentimes in the church, it seems to be that when things get quote-unquote popular, they grow in numbers, especially in great numbers, there's always a vulnerability that the integrity of that thing can be eroded. This happened in the church, actually, when the church was no longer being persecuted, starting in about the fourth century, and became, in a sense, almost the popular faith, the popular thing to do. Everybody became Christian. And this is good, but at the same time, there's something that happens with Christianity when it becomes a mass type of faith, when it becomes a popular faith. Now, granted, yes, Jesus Christ wants all to be saved, and we certainly want all to come to Christ. But there's something in maybe the fallen side of human nature, this reality of life on this side of eternity, that when something grows very quickly in the church, it's good, but it carries with it this vulnerability of losing its integrity. And in fact, the saints and the bishops and leaders in the church over time had to make adjustments in the church because of the great crowds that would come to church because it was basically fashionable. Gee, we're all Christian now. This is the cool thing to be. Not that they were all insincere. But there was a certain amount of casualness that happened, and a lot of the saints at that time, especially people like St. John Chrysostom in the Eastern Church, had to make adjustments and statements and proclamations to preserve the integrity, especially of the liturgy and the Eucharist. An example would be that the Eucharist was received in the church east and west centuries and centuries ago in both species and in the hand. The bread was received and people drank from the chalice. That was the original way. This is not a modernization. However, over time, as Christianity grew, as I mentioned, it became a little bit sloppy during Eucharist, when the distribution of Eucharist came about during the liturgy. So both churches, East and West, had to make adjustments. The West eventually went to what we know as the communion wafer, which was put on the tongue of the communicant by the priest. 
And the Byzantine, the Eastern churches, went to the use of a chalice with a spoon in many cases because our communion always had both species where the use of leavened bread was consecrated and that leavened bread was cut up in particles and placed in the chalice with the consecrated wine, the precious blood of Christ. And the communicant received in Eastern churches the communion then from the spoon. The priest would pick up a particle of the consecrated bread, soaked in the consecrated wine, the precious blood, and distribute that to the communicant. We do that even to this day. Now, the Latin Rite Church, they did, in certain areas, restore the custom of communion in the hand and also of drinking from the chalice. That was the ancient practice, but it had to be modified over time in both East and West to accommodate the growing crowds. Okay, so we get back to iconography. Just want to give an example how this happens in the church, this attempt to preserve the integrity of something as it grows in numbers and popularity. First of all, for iconography, we have to understand what it is. It is an art form, and it is important to understand what it is, how to approach it, how to use icons, and how to create them. Today, because of the growing popularity of icons, I'm often asked, Father, is there a way we can learn how to paint icons? And oftentimes people ask me how to paint icons because I do paint icons. I especially do icon murals, as you see in my church. You can see that by going to our website, byzantinecatholic.com. And they ask me oftentimes to teach them how to paint icons. And they oftentimes ask me, where can I learn how to paint icons? Now, my answer has a certain hesitancy to it. And the reason is, is because I'm always trying to preserve the integrity of icons and also because my background is in art. That was my profession before I became a priest. Now I do both. It comes in handy in the church. <laughs> the art of iconography is just that. It is an art form, a very special one, a very spiritual one, a very serious one, a very sophisticated one, actually. And the reason why I don't respond right away when people say, where can I learn how to paint icons, is because I really want to say to them, first, you need to learn how to be an artist. You see, icons are not like a ceramic. Nothing wrong with ceramics. They're wonderful. But you know how people often take a ceramics class for a few weeks and they make a few pots and so on. And that's wonderful. It's wonderful. But icons sometimes today are treated in the same way. People oftentimes want to take a class to learn how to paint an icon. So they paint an icon or two, and they're very proud of it from their class. But they're not really artists or iconographers. And painting an icon or two or three does not make someone an iconographer. And so the approach to learning how to paint icons, I think, has to be very mindful of the fact that this is not a craft. It is not something that just anyone should do or can do. Now, I don't mean to discourage anyone's interest in it, in learning how to paint icons, but I would say this. You should, first of all, be an artist, or certainly have art background or art training. Now, I know people paint icons with very little art background or training. They may have some ability. They go to a class, and although classes are not real common, it's kind of rare, and we'll talk about where to go for a class in a moment. But they go to a class, and they paint an icon or two, and they're proud of it, and that's good. But they have to remember that... It doesn't make them an iconographer, and we have to preserve what icons are. Take, for instance, music in the church. Would anyone presume to be a cantor or church musician if they didn't have musical background and knowledge and experience? No, they wouldn't. You might be able to sing. You might even have some ability. But have you developed that? Have you had experience and training in that? 
If someone comes to a pastor, especially in the Latin Rite Church, and says, I want to be the church musician at this church, well, what's the pastor going to ask right away? He's going, well, what's your background in music? You know, where's your degree? Where's your experience? What can you actually do? Where's your formal training? Oh, well, I, I like music, and I, I want to sing in the church. Well, okay, that's good, but it takes more than that to be a church musician. So it is with iconography. We're going to talk more about the integrity of icons when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Live in a palace but stay poor. And now, a Szeptycki Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. In 1939, the great Catherine Doherty, founder of Madonna House in Canada and a protege of Dorothy Day, visited Archbishop Andrei Szeptycki in his palace in Ukraine. Szeptycki himself was an aristocrat, but this is how Doherty describes her visit. I was ushered into a parlor furnished with the utmost simplicity. Why was it that my mind suddenly imagined a Assisi? Something in the poverty of the palace brought St. Francis to mind, for I knew that Count Szeptycki was very wealthy. Later, my guess was confirmed by an old peasant woman whom I asked why everything was so poor and shabby. She answered, oh, didn't you know? The archbishop never spends anything on himself, his comfort or food. It all goes to his poor and his many works of mercy. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit szeptyckiinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y Institute dot C-A. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Logan, your host, and we're talking today about icons, but not just about icons in the usual way. We're talking about preserving their integrity, how we understand and approach them, especially in terms of creating them, making them. We said in the first part of the program that we have to be cautious about not approaching icons like we would approach a ceramics class. And I emphasize, because I do come from an art background and I also do icons, is that we should have art training or art background. At the very least, a good amount of art ability if we want to really be serious about painting icons. 
When I paint icons, I draw upon all of the art training that I have ever had. And I'm very glad I had that art training because I know that icons are special, yes, but an art form. And they're rather sophisticated because I was trained in art. I was not trained to be an iconographer. It's very difficult to actually be trained as such because there really aren't many places, but there is a few opportunities, which I'll mention in a moment. But I was trained as an artist, and I applied that ability and experience and training to icons. I learned icons in the way I think is the best way. You learn by, first of all, having a background in art and also in spirituality, the spirituality of icons, and especially Eastern Christian spirituality. And then you learn from other iconographers, other accomplished iconographers. It's almost like the tutoring system. And that's how I learned. And I learned on my own because knowing art as I do, I, I know how to educate or develop myself in art based upon my foundation in formal training. And so I continue to learn actually about icons. And I continue to learn even from other mentors, other accomplished iconographers. So that's how I approach it. Unless you think I'm being a little bit of a Scrooge here for you who may have ambitions and want to learn how to paint icons, there are some opportunities to learn. And one of them is happening in the Chicago area where Light of the East comes out of. It's Sunday, November 29th from 12 to 7 p.m. and also Friday, December 4th, 2015. And this is at the Monastery of the Holy Cross in Chicago, Illinois. This is called the Prosopon Icon Workshop, workshop for intermediate students conducted by Vladislav Andreev, the founder of the Prosopon School of Iconology. And again, it's Sunday, November 29th, 12 to 7 p.m. and Friday, December 4th at Monastery of the Holy Cross. Now, for information, go to this email, J-Y-A-S-U-S, J-Y-A-S-U-S at gmail.com. That represents the person Joanne Yasus or Yasus. J Y A S U S at gmail.com. You can also call her at 773 537 8765. 773 537 8765. Again, that's the Prosopon Icon Workshop, Sunday, November 29th, and Friday, December 4th. Now, also, there's another opportunity, which is also in Chicago area. It's called Icon Writing Classes in the Byzantine Russian Tradition, second Saturday of the month, 9 to 5. Again, the Monastery of the Holy Cross here in Chicago, Illinois. And for information for that, go to this email, Catherine.deshazer at gmail.com. Catherine. That Catherine with a K. Catherine. D-E-S-H-A-Z-E-R at gmail.com. Her phone number is 920-783-8126. 920-783-8126. So, a couple of opportunities. They both are in the Chicago area, but I believe the Prosopon workshop, this Prosopon School for Iconography, is out of New York. So, there's other places that later on you can avail yourself of if you miss the ones in Chicago. But anyway, in any event, iconography must be approached as an art form by a person with art ability or training and experience in art. Then we learn the spirituality of iconography because iconography is, well, it can be described several ways. Sometimes it's said to be windows into heaven, theology in color, or even a mirror. It mirrors what is on earth, mirrors what is in heaven, and vice versa. Now, oftentimes you hear this phrase, 
we don't paint icons, we write icons. And many people are very strict about using that phraseology. Well, there is one well-known Byzantine theologian, a very well-known Byzantine theologian of our time. His name is Father Robert Taft. He's a Jesuit. He's one of the world's most renowned liturgical theologians when it comes to Eastern liturgy. And Father Taft is always refuting that idea, that phraseology, writing icons. Now, he's one of the few that does refute it. However, when Father Taft speaks, he is someone to be listened to. So if if there is maybe a challenge to this idea of saying writing icons instead of painting them, that challenge coming from Father Taft should be taken seriously. I'm not sure where I'm at on that issue. I understand why we say writing icons, and the reason is is because icons are like taking scripture, only it's in line and color. It's presenting the truths of our faith that we might read in a book or in the scripture and presenting them through art, through line and color. So in that way, you can say we are writing. You're writing the scriptures. You're writing our theology. Father Taft, who challenges that, takes perhaps a little more literal interpretation of the word iconography. He says that that refers to images, not to written things. Writing, he says, is letters, and you know, like characters, A, B, C, and so on. However, iconography, and one of the distinctive characteristics of it is it is an art form that labels the images in the picture. That's one of the reasons you know that's an icon, an authentic icon, because the people are labeled there. There is some writing, actual writing, in icons. It's more like elaborate decorative printing. And usually what's labeled there are the people in the icon, whoever is featured there. Sometimes the events are labeled as well and other aspects in the icon, but mostly it's the individuals. So there is writing within icons, but is iconography itself writing or is it painting? Personally, I favor the definition or the interpretation of the word iconography as painting. It's a use of images. Icon means images, and graph means to like to draw, or can be used in the, in the definition of writing, but it leans more towards images. In any case, the point we're making here in this program today is approaching, approaching icons correctly in a way that preserves their integrity as they are growing in popularity, and that's a good thing, but there's always a certain danger. The other aspect of approaching icons is in how we see them. They are instruments of prayer. They're not just decorations or paintings. They're instruments of prayer, which first and foremost really ought to be set in their proper context, which is first and foremost in a church, on the walls of a church, or an icon stands, because they're used for veneration. Icons unite us in a very real way with the life beyond. That's why they have to be in the holiest of settings. Now, we also should have icons in our homes and even in our workplace. I'm always impressed whenever I go to a Greek restaurant. And right there, usually it's by the cash register, there's usually an icon. <laughs> or there's a, there's a Greek restaurant in Chicago that there's actually a niche cut in the wall of the restaurant that has an icon there with a candle. It's just wonderful to see. So we should have them in our places of work and also and especially in our homes. And in fact, in the Eastern churches, we have the custom what's called an icon corner. It's a place that features an icon with a candle and a table with the scripture. And it's supposed to be a place where the family gathers at least at some point during the day and prays together. 
They pray before and after they come and go from the home to start their day at school or work. So the icon corner is a wonderful feature of the domestic church, especially in Eastern homes. So there should be icons there as well. But their main context, their principal context is in church. Icons are vehicles of prayer, and they also are vehicles that transmit our theology. And that's why we venerate them. In kissing them and venerate them, incensing them, we're, as the great saints would say, what we do to them is transfer to the actual persons that they image, that they represent. So we don't worship icons. We use icons in worship to help us worship, to help us be put in touch with the saints and Christ and the Mother of God to whom we pray and to whom we wish to be united, especially in the liturgical services, most particularly in the Eucharist. So icons help us to do that. Icons are often carried in procession, and the saints would say that by using them in procession, you know, as we walk, you sort of move them, they sort of wave a bit in the air. They say that we are sanctifying the air. Yes, we're touching the air with the icons, the holy icons, which themselves help us to touch heaven. So in that way, we're actually sanctifying the air. And that's why we use a lot of incense in the church, and we incense the icons, because that's another way of sanctifying the air, filling the air not only with a great fragrance. There's actually a change in the nature of the atmosphere in the church when we use incense. So we're actually changing the air, making it holy, filling it with the holy presence of icons and of incense. There's much more to say on this topic, and we will continue in subsequent programs. But hopefully this was helpful to you, hopefully not discouraging, but encouraging in its own way on how to approach the integrity of icons. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.